if you're thinking about scaling uh, your real estate investing business, there's a, a myriad of things that you need to consider, uh, be it from hiring, setting up systems, uh, passing on your knowledge and information, which parts you delegate, which parts you don't. And my guest today, Stacey Gray, uh, specializes in helping visionary business leaders scale their businesses. And we had a, a great conversation around the different challenges that presents, what you need to be thinking about in terms of culture of your company, how you bring people on board. Stacy said a, a, a great thing around delegation is delegation of ownership. So actually owning the task that you're giving to people, you're getting them to own it. So I think you're going to find this a really great conversation and really helpful if you're starting to think about scaling that real estate investing business of yours. So enjoy the show. Welcome to the Personally Brandtastic podcast, where we help you build your personal brand and business so that people can find you easily, want to work with you, and can't wait to refer you. My name is Paul Kopkin, and every day I work with real estate investors, professionals, and business owners who want to stand out from the crowd and attract more of the right opportunities without feeling inauthentic or spending all day doing it. It's all about communicating how personally brandtastic you are, because marketing is how to get their attention, but personal branding is why they choose you. Now, back to the show. All right, Stacy. thank you for joining us today. I, I think this is going to be a fascinating conversation because I think one of the challenges that a lot of us face, this, not necessarily just solopreneur, but small businesses and even companies as they get bigger is scaling mm -hmm. uh, and doing it right. So what are the things that first and foremost, a real estate investor should be thinking about as they're thinking, okay, I'm going to need help. I'm going to have to scale. What do you recommend as kind of the first two or three things they need to be thinking about? Yeah, well, it's so good to be with you, Paul. And I have spent a lot of time understanding real estate investors and the point they reach when they can't, can no longer do it on their, themselves and they're interested in really scaling. And a lot of the folks that we work with are capital raisers. So they raise capital to do big investment projects. And having kind of the real estate framework, we develop a three-step process at Organized to Scale that helps people scale their businesses. And this mindset will help your audience. So first we architect, that's step one. And that's where you create the blueprint for what kind of business you want to build. So when you are a solopreneur, you're kind of wearing on all the hats, doing all of the things, and it can get really overwhelming and it's hard to parse the role of being the idea person and being the executor. And we vacillate back and forth between those. And sometimes we don't get traction because we chase all the shiny pennies and have squirrel syndrome and we can't get to where we want to go. So the architect phase is really getting what do you want the business to do for you from a lifestyle perspective, from a financial perspective, from a mission perspective? Is there something you want to do in the world? And then really blueprinting it. We actually create an actual blueprint with flows and assembly line and who's owning what and roles and responsibilities and sweet spot and metrics for success. And so think of that like in real estate, your blueprint. Then it goes to build. And build is where you work with a contractor and construction team and they lay a solid foundation and they outline where the rooms are and the bathrooms are going to be. And then they put all of the paint and finish it all out. And then you have something that is built that you can operate with it. And then it moves to what we call step three, which is our operate. And that's where in real estate, you plug a property manager in and you plug a tenant in and they maintain and you collect a paycheck. 
in business, you would do the same thing. You would plug people in to run the day-to-day operations of a specific task, whether it's due diligence or acquisitions or market analysis or performance or deal presentations. That would all happen and operate after you architected and built. So when people are getting to the point where they're ready to duplicate themselves, they can start thinking in this framework so that they can create that structure to replace themselves with also maintaining predictable results. One of the things that an investor should be looking for or listening for to know that they're at the point where scalability Um, is important. Yes, that's a great question. So I have reached this point many times. And when you're pushing the ceiling for growth, you're going to hit it a lot. But when you get to the point where you're doing the mundane or is stealing the joy or you're stretched too thin and you see opportunity, but you're not able to act on it as quickly as you want because you're overwhelmed or spread too thin, that's the point when you can realize if I'm able to delegate this admin level thing or automate it with tech or source it a different way and I can it'll free me up to drive revenue, then you know you're ready to scale. Because if you if you can't drive more revenue, then you aren't necessarily ready to produce the overhead that is going to take away from it. But when you can drive revenue, you're on the right path. Right. And and you made a point there about scalability doesn't necessarily mean people. It could be technology that solves that issue nowadays, which is Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. With AI, it's completely changing the landscape of the things that you can get done. And, you know, our ability as humans is wisdom. So there is artificial intelligence, which is great, and it can do a lot of the tactical aspects of it. But there's still wisdom and emotions and interpersonal relationships that it does not have. And when we can blend the best of what we bring with technology, it can be powerful. And one of the important things a a real estate investor should be looking for, Stacey, in terms of the people that they bring on board, how do they not necessarily replicate themselves, but how do they say, okay, this is a good fit. This is a bad fit. So we do a lot of that from architect. So during the architect phase, we're saying, what's our sweet spot? So you already know your individual strengths, weaknesses, natural wirings, the things that energize you and bring you joy and where you want to live. and Anything that is not in that bubble, then that's like the first things you want to get off because it drains your energy, which tanks creativity and innovation. And when you aren't aren't continuing to operate in a creative, innovative way, then you're not really driving the business forward. So it's critical as a leader that we're continuing to sit in that innovative, visionary, thought-provoking, thought-leadership way to scale. So after you know what your sweet spot is, we also identify what our values are. So your values could be freedom. Your values could be communication. Your values could be changing communities at a local level. And when you're looking to delegate to somebody, you want to delegate to somebody the things that are not your natural strengths. And then also to somebody who's a culture fit. Do they align with my values? Are they? Do they believe in the mission? When things get hard, are they going to have the crucial conversations necessary to navigate it, or are they going to operate in a way that is not conducive to continuing to reinforce the foundation? So I would say those two things are really critical in selecting who you bring in. Right. The question occurred to me, 
have you ever had a situation where somebody should not be the leader, even though they're the principal? <laughs> principle of the business and do they recognize that or do they try and kind of fight that oh yes i have had that um <laughs> actually it's a it, it's interesting that you asked that question because we're in the process of adding more into our business model because of that very thing so we started organized to scale it was really focused on systems but i focused primarily on structural systems so the workflow, the processes, the execution, the tools, the technology, the standard operating procedures. I focused on all of that. And I liken that to a diet. A diet works, right? It's the right. structural system that works if the operator executes the structure. But if the operator doesn't do structure, then it's really hard to get that structure or diet to work. So now we have three systems that we execute within the business. One is psychological systems. So that's what you're talking about with the self-awareness, the thought leadership, the mental capacity to really self-reflect and be objective and understand the, mo the needle movers within the business. And then how to manage their energy so they can perform at peak state in a way that is rallying the structure and the people to get done what needs to get done. So that's psychological systems. Then we still have structural systems, which is what I've already talked about. And then the third is social systems. And that is the relationships we have with our team, with our tribe, with the community, our reputation, our brand. Those are all really important and not just the, the how-to. They all have to come together and really be synergistic. Because that can be the, the danger, particularly on brand, can't it? Where if you've done everything, then your personal brand is really the brand of the company. But once things start to get bigger, yes, that can get lost. And I yes. think we, we can, you and I can probably pick half a dozen large companies where that's happened. So it's totally understandable that would happen to a small business or a solopreneur as well. What, what kind of tips do you have for people where that potentially is something that could happen and the brand gets damaged because of it. Oh, yes, that is, it's happened a few times. And, you know, there are systems in place for what we call crisis management. So you have crisis PR, you have things that you can't anticipate. There's been black swans in this world for a long time, and it impacts businesses. And what you can do is lean back on, well, you architect. Is our mission still our mission? Are our values still our values? And how can we navigate this as gracefully as possible to reinforce the thing that is authentic and true while also upholding what we've committed to? And it's a balance. And they, early when you said, how do you scale right? And I was thinking, no, there's really a 100% right, 100% sure. wrong way to do it. Because I think some of the fears around scaling is doing it wrong. And it holds people back. But really it's, that's that perfectionism thinking. And I am a recovering perfectionist. So I understand that, but you, we can't get it right. It's business is messy. And with the changes in different technology and you're dealing with different people, you are navigating it the best you can. And when you come to those forks in the road, you have a North Star with your architect, with your blueprint to say, is this in line with what I pre-agreed I wanted to do? And for us, we do an evaluation every 90 days. 
So every 90 days, we have an execution plan. And then every 90 days, we do a 90-day review. Is it working, not working? What are our strengths? What are our challenges? What are our weaknesses? What are the trends and opportunities that are coming? Does this impact our blueprint at all? Do we want to add on? Do we want to build a tiny home in the back? What Do we want to build a garden? What does this look like now, now that we've gone a little bit further down the path? So the permission to change our minds too, as our businesses evolve and unfold is quite powerful because there's things that can really turn it in a direction that could have substantial growth. Right. So what I'm hearing is always default or not default, but always go back to the core foundation. Why are you doing this? What are you doing it? How are you doing it? Yes. And I'm wondering if part of your psychological systems also includes things, the other big thing, and I'm a recovering person in this area is nobody can do it as well as I can, Ah, which is the classic, you know, oh, well, they didn't do it like I did. And let, I mean, I would imagine you spend time helping people let go of that because that otherwise, again, can stifle growth, can't it? Yeah. Yes. I always, in, in some of the presentations I give, I say, anyone ever been called a control freak and all the hands go up. And it's because we really do, we have thought about our vision. We've thought about our ideas for every waking hour for years, probably even before we even started acting on it, we've been thinking about it. And so when we go to delegate somebody, we really have a hard time trusting because they aren't thinking about it as much as we're thinking about it. They don't see the nuances. They don't see how that it all fits together. But the thing that visionaries are great at is we can see the front of the puzzle box where we can see it in color, fully built out, done. The thing that visionaries struggle with is the second you take all those puzzle pieces, dump them out, the visionaries are usually like, I'm out. I don't have the patience for this. I don't want to scope and sequence it. And the ones that get trapped in their business are the ones that stay in all the individual puzzle pieces. The process for getting out of the individual puzzle pieces is visibility. So visionaries need visibility. Otherwise, they appear as control breaks. And we do that with metrics. So when you create your blueprint, you're saying, okay, this is how I'm going to go to market. This is how I'm going to sell. This is how I'm going to fulfill. This is how I'm going to acquire an asset. This is how I'm going to run my project. And when you document that all out and you have metrics for this is what success looks like and this is what done looks like, then you can look at a dashboard and be a data-driven decision maker and leader and have that visibility versus being attached to all of the individual puzzle pieces. And do you find that uh, people that come and join organizations where that's in place feel like they're really part of the business versus just being a cog in a wheel? Yes. I do think that the more you involve people in the innovation and the expansion, the more buy-in they have. And that creates a lot of loyalty as well, which which they're on board with the mission. Right. And it's powerful. Right. And what about hiring people locally, remotely, and then obviously internationally as well? Because that's a big part of, I know a lot of real estate investors have VAs. I, I have VAs myself, and mm-hmm. most of them aren't even based in North America. Yeah. What are your thoughts on it? And then what are your recommendations and, and insights from that? Yes. So we're the same way. So I have a local small team here in Austin. That is more like a a leadership team, but we're all still remote. And then we, I also have overseas. 
So I have people in the Philippines, in India, in Africa, and um, they do a lot of work for us as well. So I am definitely all on board with the virtual health. And I think now with technology, as you were talking earlier, it has really streamlined the ability to leverage resources all over the world to get things done that we need to get done in a timely fashion. And with time, like a lot of people struggle with time barriers or language barriers, but I have found in certain areas that you don't really run into that as much. People are willing to work U.S. time or whatever time zone you're in. People are more than happy to do that or do split shifts where half the time they're on your schedule and half the time they're working on their schedule and uh, doing tons of just looms or video shares or screen shares with recording so it's documented. It's actually, I think, in a sense, helped having remote work because now you can leverage a lot of recording tools and those then become resources for your virtual team to go back and reference. So you're not training somebody over and over again, the video is. So it actually creates more scale for you because you're not involved as much day to day. You have, they have resources now. Right. It's like a forcing function. Yes. Which, whereas if you had somebody locally in your office next door to you, you'd be tempted to continue to try to train them. Yes. Or, you know, or they would be tempted to come to you and say, put their head around the door. So I, I don't know if you're familiar with Dan Martell. He has a book called Buy Back Your Time. No, I have not read uh, it. Oh, I'd recommend it. I, okay. I, I think you'd love it. It, it. He's totally talking your language. But he, what he suggests is, so you have your SOPs, you have your Loom videos and everything. But then when somebody new comes on board, he gets them to create the next version of the SOP, which I'd never thought of. But of course, it makes total sense because you get two benefits. One is it's always being reviewed. Yes. Uh, but the chances are sometimes, and I found that with my own VAs, I don't have all the answers. You think you do as a business owner or as a solopreneur, but you don't. And sometimes they've come across something that's so obvious that you would never see because you're focused one way, and but they see it because they've done it previously for somebody else. Have you found that? Yes. So that's what we do. So we, I am a big proponent of people internalize what they document. So if they are documenting it, they're internalizing it because they're doing that. And when they work off of it, then they're also reinforcing it. So everybody I've ever trained, I just do a loom video of myself doing whatever task. And then I make them create the standard operating procedure or the checklist. And then they have to present it back to me. And then I give my stamp of approval. That point, I've only done a task one time and they've documented it, they've internalized it, and now they own it. And really, I think the most powerful form of delegation isn't the delegation of a task, it's the delegation of ownership. And when somebody can own something, then it doesn't come back on our plate, which is extremely critical for scaling. I love two things. I, I was making a note because I, I, I'm going to encourage people to hit the button and go back one minute and listen to exactly what Stacy just said, because those two things, just a yeah, delegation of ownership. I love that. That's such a powerful way to empower your people. But yeah, I, that's just awesome. Yeah. So what are the mistakes you see people make once they've started to scale? Where does it 
potent, you know, where are the red flags? Where does it potentially fall flat? Um, so let me attack this from two different angles. One is I think people get trapped in their businesses because of one of two things alone, because they have lack systems, which that's what we all think people get trapped by is because operational chaos, lack of systems. But another way people get trapped is they are so passionate about what they do. They love what they do. They will work, live, sleep, play what they do. And they end up trapped and they forget who they are outside of what they're doing. And so those are ways people get trapped. So I think addressing both of those is important, not just the system side, but that psychological side. What are you willing or unwilling to sacrifice? So assuming you have those healthy boundaries in place, when you are going to scale, I think a few things that people overlook is one, the impact of culture. Culture really has a powerful impact on it. And then the other thing is really truly understanding what you are selling. Sometimes people think, oh, I'm selling real estate. Well, are you? Or I'm selling a cup of coffee. Well, if you're Starbucks, you're selling an experience. So really understanding what you're selling so that you can use that as your USP and double down on it because that's the differentiator. It's not just that you sell water or you sell coffee or you sell a house. It's the experience people have with you as a brand and you as a person, as you as a human being and a thought leader that really makes that community. And I personally think more people are going to be leaning into community now because of how technology is going. I think originally technology was created to make us a smaller world, but in a way it made it feel much more disconnected and human interactions in real life diminished. But I think people are leaning back into that, especially with the COVID situation and everything. People want people. I want to sit at dinner with you across from you and have a conversation. And I think when we can leverage that part of what it is that we do into our businesses, it can be really powerful and scaling because word of mouth will spread. I absolutely agree with you. I think we've all missed that time where you do get to literally shake a hand yeah. and look at their eyes and look for, I mean, we all try and do it via Zoom and try and guess on body language. It's not the same. And yeah, I think that the danger with social media and everything else is that default is it will all get solved by technology, but that's right. the differentiator, right? And the emotional connection, you're absolutely right. It's finding that emotional trigger that makes somebody want to come, not just come back to you or come and, and work with you, but then also refer you because that's the other critical part of it. Okay. How do you, what are the stages that somebody, once they've scaled, when do they know it's time to get either bigger or maybe even sell? Is there, again, areas that people should be looking for or flags? or? That's such a individual thing based on what they're really building. There's so many founders who would never sell. And then there's founders who are choosing to build to sell. And that's really that architect phase. So everyone's wired so uniquely with what it is that they want to do and achieve. And some people are creating generational businesses. They're creating it for legacy. They're creating it for their kids. And some are not. I mean, so many baby boomers right now, their kids don't want their businesses. Their kids are like, I want to be a TikTok influencer and I don't want this business. And those are 
businesses for us who understand brick and mortar to be like, let's go buy those because they're, they can be very good, profitable businesses. So my answer is probably not what you're looking for, but I would say it just depends. <laughs> and have you ever worked with people where, you know, they have their real estate investing businesses going gangbusters, everything's great. And they've looked at businesses outside of oh. real estate as a way to diversify. And uh, uh, what are the challenges when you start to think about, okay, actually, that's a really attractive business, even though it's nothing to do with the main core of what they're doing. Yes, I, we have quite a few. We call them visionaries. And the visionary have those things. They just have tons of ideas. I, what we've seen is that not all businesses are created equal and not all visionaries are created equal for all types of businesses. So you may see an opportunity, but you may not be that right, the right visionary for that opportunity. And so really reconciling that within themselves. But we, I have a client I'm thinking of right now who has a very successful real estate brokerage, capital raising company, started a property management company, has an agriculture, cocal farm company, just art gallery, continuing to add on all of these different ideas. And it spreads people really thin. And it is one of those things where you really have to get the right operator in place. So you could be a visionary, but you've got to be paired with an integrator who really understands that business and can systematize it and automate it and create predictable results. Otherwise, it could threaten home base business. Right. Okay. Yeah. I'm just thinking actually of somebody I know that they actually had a very successful tech business. Then they went to brick and mortar and they thought it was, oh, well, it's just another business. Ooh, no. Yeah. And the mistakes they made and the pitfalls and the challenges they faced. But, and they said they'd never faced anything like it in tech. Yes. And yeah. I see it all the time because the, the more I organize businesses, the more I see how nuanced different businesses are. There's fundamentally, you know, like I'll go back to dieting again because it's just a universal understanding, but fundamental concept of being healthy is more calories or being at an ideal weight is more calories out than calories in. That's fundamental, right? So there's things like that in business that are fundamental. You need revenue to come in. You need to have a unique product that you're offering that has branding and positioning and messaging, and you need to know who your target market is. That's all universal. Those things can translate. But then you have nuances. If you're doing tech, you don't have supply chain issues. You don't have local, you don't have to have staff local on site. You don't have to worry about zoning and any regulatory issues at a, you know, there's so many nuances that are different between those two things. Still fundamentals are exist. And I think that's where we get caught up. We see the fundamentals, but then all the devils are in the details. Right. So when you're working with somebody, is it like a consultant type role? Is it a coaching type role? Or is it a combination of the two? How do you tend to it's work? A combination of all of that. So right. we, what the architect phase is actually a three day. So we sit down with folks and say, okay, what is your sweet spot? Where do you want to live? And what are you willing or not willing to trade to be there? And then where, what's your vision, mission, values like what's your hog? where do you want to be in 10 years five years one year what's everything that needs to be done in order to achieve that so from naming your business getting a website creating a logo to 
hiring an investor relations, partnering with the um, acquisitions person on the ground, what everything that needs to be done in order to achieve it. And get that all out of your brain. And this is like, get that, get the visionary stuff out, all the pieces on the table. And then we say, okay, what are the seven to 10 core functions that you need in order to make this business work? And we process map those out. And then we say, of everything that needs to be done, what are we going to execute in the next 90 days? And that usually is the build phase. What's the central infrastructure we need in order to start layering on everything to get to where we want to go? And then that is a 90-day period, and we help people set up their essential infrastructure. And then after that, we do 90-day reviews with folks. So what's working, what's not, and then what are your little yellow feet for the next 90 days? So it's a combination of strategic consulting, and we have in-house coaching, so DISC certified coaching, where people to help with the psychological systems. So they become the type of visionaries and leaders that the business really needs them to be while we do the structure and the people side. Right. Did you say little yellow feet? Yes, little yellow feet. <laughs> what, what, what do you mean by that? It's just a fascinating... Oh, you know, when you're walking down, I don't know if you, you have kids or grandkids or anything. Yeah. There, you'll be at the zoo or someplace and there's yellow feet on the path. Uh, okay. You know? okay, 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 so, I love it. <laughs> exactly what you need to do so you cannot get off the path or off course in your process and pursuit of your ideal business. Right, got it, okay. So a couple of questions, Stacey, I'd like to ask guests before we kind of wrap up and let people know where they can find you. Who is a favorite personal brand that you have and why? I have so many. When I saw this question, I was thinking, gosh, do I have to pick one or can I have three? No, you can have three. <laughs> so I really like Ed Milet and Brene Brown and Patrick Beth David. And they're all wildly different in their personal brands. But I think the thing that all three of them have is they're, they very much know their identity. And they're very clear and authentic about who they are, what they stand for, and what they want their audience to experience when they interact with them. And I think that's really powerful in a personal brand. And they also are very mission-minded. They're not necessarily just money-motivated. They really genuinely care about, or it feels. The brand, the personal brand that I feel that I experience right. is a brand that feels very authentic and mission-minded. Yeah, it's funny. The book I recommended earlier, Dan Martell, his coach is Ed Milo. Oh, okay. Yes. And I'd never heard of him. And then Dan Martell did a, you know, a video where he and uh, Ed Milo were talking. And Ed Milo, I mean, he doesn't need to, he doesn't need to work. He doesn't need to coach people. No. I mean, he's got more than enough money, but it, you're right. He has that underlying mission, purpose that drives him to see people succeed. And yeah, interesting. What about a favorite business book or podcast? My uh, favorite business book, right, I have so many, so even choosing one is challenging, but a book that I feel like has been really impactful is Speed of Trust by Stephen Covey, Jr. Mm -hmm. Have you read it? No, I haven't. Uh, okay. I've read the original seven, but not. Yes. Uh, it talks about how trust is the difference maker in productivity. So you trust people on two things. You trust them on their character and you trust them on their competency. Mm. They have to have both to trust somebody. So somebody who has high character, but every time you give them a task, they're just incompetent and cannot complete it. 
or don't feel, aren't able to get it done, we don't really trust them. Like we like them, we'll hang out with them, but they're not really good stride partners in life or business. Then somebody could be highly competent, but their ends don't justify their means and they'll get it done, but they ruin your reputation. They ruin your relationships. And so you really need to surround yourself with people who have high character and high competency. Hmm. Okay. That's, I'm adding it to my list. So, yes. yes. And do you have a new tool or resource that you're enjoying using at the moment? AI. I am very much enjoying AI a lot. It has streamlined so much of what we do operationally. Right. And what about a quote, a favorite quote that either motivates you or inspires you? Yeah, and we actually have one at OTS that I claimed quite a while ago, but it's our motto and it's, if it's not on the calendar, it doesn't exist. And it drives everything that we do. And so even from that blueprint, we take that all the way down to those little yellow feet getting programmed onto the calendar based on our energy. So in the morning, I'm much more creative than I am in the evenings. And some people are the exact opposite. They're night owls. They get all their creativity done in the evening. So I have found really, even coaching the different visionaries and leaders that we work with, understanding our own circadian rhythm and how we bring energy to the tasks that we do and then scheduling it is where they align allows us to be so much more productive. Yeah, that's it. That's where I think the, you know, the, is a, a big, like I say, movement isn't the right word, but you know, that everybody should get up at 5 a.m. Everybody should do it this way. Everybody, and I, exactly to your point, I had a, a colleague of mine, I used to be in a mastermind with years and years ago, and she could not, I mean, she was useless before 5 p.m. <laughs> and put 5 p.m. till 5 a.m., 6 a.m., absolute machine. But she was a complete night owl. I just could never understand it personally, but absolutely worked for her. But of course, if she was told to get up at 5 a.m. and meditate and journal and all that kind of thing, that would have driven her nuts. So. <laughs> okay. So, Stacy, fascinating. How can people find out more about you? Where, where's the best place to, to get in touch? Yeah, well, if your audience is interested in some, I have a free report specifically for capital raisers on the three-step process. So if they send an email to scale at organizedtoscale.com, they can get a copy of that and get connected with me. Okay, wonderful. We'll make sure that is in the show notes. And, and thank you for today. Lots of great insights. I was rapidly making notes as you were talking. So I'm actually going to look forward to listening to this again when it comes out. And have yourself a brandtastic day. Thank you. You too. Wonderful. Have yourself a great weekend. Thank you. Well, was that brandtastic? Did it give you some ideas and actions that you can take right now to build your business? So get to it. Thank you for listening and have a brandtastic day. And <laughs> the